more theme. Ho, 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 Sarah. Hey, happy Christmas, my friend, and happy 2021 Christmas episode of the New Way podcast. Likewise, this is cool. We're pulling together some of the highlights of the last couple of years of Christmas episodes. It was fun for me to revisit these conversations, some of which were with folks that I already knew, some of which the podcast introduced me to. Absolutely. There are some moments of levity. There are some moments of joy and celebration and just the profound reflections from our colleagues who have different takes on Advent and the Christmas season and what it means to them in this particular time. Yeah, I've been struck over this past year about the fact that ours is a faith that is born in adversity, and we know that well. And yet in our first world, North American context, that's something that we have lost sight of. And I know this season has been hard. And I have appreciated the fact that it has reminded us that faith comes not because of comfort, but because of adversity and also is strengthened by it. Heads up in this first little section with our colleague, the Reverend Jeff Eddings. He tells one of my absolutely most favorite Christmas stories about the best Christmas pageant ever in his Hot Metal Bridge faith community. And there is a little bit of a profanity warning. We wanted to have you look forward to that. (laughs) And also know that the rest of the podcast is for any age ears. Yeah, that one little word is kind of key to the story. So we decided to leave it in. Yep. And hats off, by the way, to all our colleagues who have led with courage in such an important time. We're grateful for you and we hope these stories provide a chance for your own reflection. Yeah, let's jump in. Oh, that's your line. Let's jump right in. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Jeff Eddings. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. You know, a conversation we had in season two with Diamon Harges, the roving lister. In their church and in their community, the most important question you can ask someone is, what do they have to give? Mm. And how dynamic inherently that is. Like it takes time and energy to say, well, my gift is cooking or my gift is hospitality, that it doesn't stop there. Then the energy moves to help them offer that gift and do so continuously, which takes a lot of time. Yeah, it does. And it takes a lot of building relationships and it takes a lot of trust because sometimes you want to be like, I'm not sure I want you to give that thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're saying you want to give to the community. Yes. And and this kind of brings me to that story. The Christmas Eve Eve story. Yes. So there was a woman in our community, Sarah, who was living on the streets and she didn't really have a place that was safe for her on the streets. And we were actively actually working with her to try to get her some housing. So for some time, she was actually living in our parking lot and kind of making that her camp. And we had to kind of do that discreetly. Neighbors aren't really excited about that kind of activity <laughs> happening in the parking lot, but that's where she was landing. And it was like mm-hmm. the only safe place. There's a lot of unsafe places for her. But Sarah was being faithful at being around on Sundays and showing up at our meal that happened twice a week called The Table. And she even, for offering, one day brought forth and put in the offering plate a receipt for half and half that she had bought that morning for our coffee station. Mm. And she was like, 
here's what I have to give. And Sarah would try to help out in any way possible. And she was this smaller woman and uh, she would talk your ear off. And it was just a part we were trying to find ways to how Sarah participate and belong. And sometimes there's a lot of challenges to that. And she shows up at our Christmas Eve Eve service, which is a service that we usually do a drama on, very family friendly. And we were doing the story called The Greatest Christmas Pageant Ever, which a lot of people might be familiar with. Yes. It's where these punk rock kids come in who don't know anything about the Bible and they take over the pageant, right? So that's the nature of the story. Well, Sarah shows up and it was very clear that she had been drinking most of the day. And so she's chattier than usual. (laughs) (laughs) Which is saying something. Yeah, she comes up to me and she's like, you know, just kind of expressing all the things she's expressing. I'm trying to get everybody ready for the service. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, how is this going to go? And so I helpfully find Sarah a seat in the back and ask Scott, one of the folks that oversees our homeless ministry, to keep an eye on her. Yeah. And so things are just getting ready to get started. And she gets up and walks immediately down to the front and takes a seat, like two rows <laughs> yeah. from the front. Yes. So... She happens to sit next to my wife. So I kind of go over and my wife kind of like gives me the indication that like she's got this, right? That she's going to take care of this. And my wife's sitting there with her family, her sister and brother-in-law and my nephew and niece are all over there. And they're visiting for the holiday, like to check out. They're visiting. Yeah. They always come like for this. And so as the service starts and we're doing announcements and starting music, like Sarah's just like chatting away, right? She's like, it's like she's having a conversation with who's ever up front. (laughs) And she's like right in front of our musician who's on the piano. And he plays like a couple verses for our first Christmas hymn. But he ends and Sarah says, play all the verses. Play all the verses. (laughs) And so, so Carolyn's trying to, you know, settle her down a little bit. And then the play starts and she kind of settles down, but you can hear a little bit here and there throughout the play. And then at one point during the play, there's just a big ruckus over by Sarah. I hear a clattering and a clanging and and I look over, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And she had this big coat on and her vodka bottle had fallen out of the coat and was oh. clattering on the floor. <laughs> so my brother-in-law scrambles. He grabs it. They get it back in her coat. Yes. I think around this point in time, my niece leans over to my wife and says, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> Although Sarah really wasn't scary. She no. wasn't scary. She was just, you know, loud. This isn't what and... you expect at the worship service Christmas Eve Eve. Not exactly. Not no. exactly. So... Carolyn keeps like talking to her, keeps kind of settling her down. So there's one part in the play where the punk rock kids learn about Herod and they learn about how Herod had all these children and babies killed. And so the punk rock kids in the play are getting upset about Herod. And so this then, is that uh, you're doing the gospel of Luke story where for those who haven't heard Herod is the evil king, so to speak. Right, that... right. And so like the kids and the play are unpacking this and Sarah you kind of get the feeling like she doesn't realize it's a play. She thinks yeah. like they're just kind of wanting to interact with us. Mm-hmm. And then so in the middle of Sarah goes, oh, <laughs> fucking Herod. Oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my wife leans over and goes, Sarah, Sarah, you shouldn't swear in church. And Sarah <laughs> looks at my wife and goes, oh, Herod isn't a swear word. <laughs> 
I love that so much because unexpected things happen. Yeah. Which we yeah. find in many ways challenging, but also I think nourishing and enlivening. And they tell us things, I think, about the story of God that we don't get any other way. Yeah. Like Sarah showing yeah. up and saying, Herod's the worst. <laughs> yeah. That's part of this Christmas drama too, is the what's at play, what's at stake. And Sarah was just looking for space to belong mm -hmm. and felt like she could show up even though she knew she was drinking all day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of that service, we have the, the candlelight and we kind of form a circle around the whole place. But Sarah was like in the middle of the circle holding two candles, <laughs> you know, rocking back and forth, singing Silent Night. And I mean, I was a little concerned. I was like, okay, are we just going to burn the church down now? <laughs> Is that what's happening? <laughs> She's kind of you know, flailing yeah. the, the, the candles around. But she was literally in tears, mm. you know, and at the end of it, I just went over to her and hugged her, wished her Merry Christmas. I wasn't sure what else there was to do at that point. Today, we're joined by the Reverend Becca Blake. Welcome, Becca. Thanks for welcoming me. I'm happy to be here. Do you have a favorite, I want to say Christmas character, but, you know, like in general, but also religiously, like the idea of Mary, Jesus, <laughs> Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men. I'm going to cheat and say two. So I really like Mary and Elizabeth and their story. Will you tell those so. of us who read the truncated version of the Christmas story about Elizabeth <laughs> and Mary's relationship? Yes. So Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. So tradition tells us. And she was also Mary's cousin. A much older cousin. Yeah. And Elizabeth has wanted a child for all of her life and has not been able to have one. And an angel comes to her husband and says, hey, you're going to have a kid. And he's like, oh, you're crazy. We're old. Yeah. And the angel's like, well, I'm not crazy. And because you doubted me, you get to be silent until the baby shows up. So I, he came out of the temple. Can you publish that version of the story? <laughs> right yeah. there first. Yeah. yeah. So he's silenced. Yeah. yeah. So he can't speak until John is born. And what always struck me as wild about that story is that he just had to come home and Elizabeth like had no idea what was going on. She might not have even known that she, she was loved pregnant it. yet. No. Well, yeah, maybe she did. But she she might not have known that she was pregnant yet because it took you a while. Hmm. They didn't have like digital. Clear blue easy seven day like, tests. No. And so like there was some time where she was like, what is happening? Like something hmm. clearly happened to him in the temple. I don't know what it is. This feels weird in my body, but this cannot be happening. Like it's yes. just not possible, you know, like, and all of those things happening. And so then you have Mary, who's so young and pregnant and fleeing to Elizabeth in my mind, because it's dangerous to be young and suspected, I guess, of adultery. And so Mary flees to her mm. in my paraphrase for refuge and comfort and encouragement, not knowing that Elizabeth was pregnant either. And so they kind of show up and there's this, beautiful moment where Mary is embraced by Elizabeth. So there's this kind of like homecoming and, and comfort right there. And then Elizabeth says that's when she felt the baby move in her womb for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so there was something about fetus John <laughs> that recognized <laughs> fetus Jesus. And, yes. like, and there was just this kind of like moment there and you know again if we're thinking in ancient times there's no ultrasounds there's no you know you don't know how you're doing yeah and there's so much anxiety waiting for those first movements to make sure things are okay and so to have 
Mary have the confirmation of like, okay, I'm safe and this is okay. And Elizabeth to have the confirmation that, oh my God, like this child is doing well. I can feel him now. You know? I never thought of it that way. It's I never really thought beautiful. about it. She might not have known. I, I love that encounter and I love what a comfort they must have been to each other in such a strange, strange season mm. of their lives. What we know about the birth story of Jesus is contained in a couple of chapters in the gospel, according to Matthew mm-hmm. and according to Luke. Luke is really Mary's story. Mm-hmm. And, and a guy gets silenced during it, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> One of the insights I really appreciate about that story, that Hannah Quick, who's now leading um, Oak Abbey in New Orleans, mm-hmm. the whole there was no room for them at the inn thing did not likely mean that they were like in the middle of nowhere with just her and Joseph, but that most households in that time had the animals in the house because it was just warmer and more efficient to have everybody together. But there would be kind of like a low wall partitioning off the animal side of the house and the people side of the house. So what some people kind of think happened was that there just wasn't like a bed or a room for them, but they were sleeping next to the animals, like on that side of the thing. So what I appreciated about that a lot is that it meant that it's not that likely that Mary and Joseph were alone and that they had people kind of around to help. But the thing that struck me thinking about this year and also in light of, you know, becoming a mother last year and the circumstances that made that challenging and weird for me was that Mary, she might not have been alone, but she most likely did not have the people that she wanted around her, her mother or sister or cousin or friend or so-and-so that she had like hoped would be there to coach her through this incredibly ridiculous physical process that were not there. And so I think it's likely that she had help from someone, but I don't think it was certainly not what she had dreamed (laughs) or planned or hoped how that would go. And so on the one hand, I, I like thinking about that story and that there was hospitality there. And that's kind of the point that Hannah Quick was making when she preached on this, that those folks who made the space for the Savior to be born, that's what we're called to do too, is to make a home in which people can experience or encounter God. So there's this kind of dual thing where I'm glad that they were with other people and they weren't utterly alone, but also kind of some empathy around that's not how they wanted it to go. And I think a lot of people are looking at this whole year and are thinking pretty much none of this is how I wanted it to go. (laughs) Uh, Hashtag 2020. Right. And like, I mean, there's, there's been joys. I've presided over baptisms. People have gotten married. There have been opportunities to grow closer because it's easier to do a midweek zoom thing than like get all bundled out of your house and go somewhere, you know? So there's definitely been some unexpected gifts of this year, but the cost of so many dreams and goals and lives and you know it's just staggering and so I think there's some resonances there around we're here and we're moving forward and there is new life but the circumstances in which this is coming to us are not the ones we had hoped and are not even technically ideal but there are enough I was just reading something today about there's an essay by Debbie Thomas and she was quoting Frederick Buechner and talking about the limitless God knows no limits of like humiliation. Hmm. God is so big and so expansive, but God won't hesitate to come 
as a baby, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like we need a savior. And her essay was talking about how we have these big prayers. These like, we need an end to a pandemic. We need an end to racial injustice. We need an end to abuse and horror and all this kind of stuff. It's huge, huge prayers. And God sends like a baby. How embarrassing. Like what? Like, what were you thinking? Like this is, (laughs) so we're supposed to wait. Not only have we waited like hundreds of years for you to show up, but then when you show up, I have to wait another 20 years for you to grow to adulthood and do anything. And Put that, on your own pants. That kind and, of, yeah. you know, indignation and like how God welcomes that. But also there's obviously a point, like God chose that for a reason. And that that humility and that weakness and that all those kinds of things, it just, her argument was that it shows us that there's no lengths God won't go to, to meet us where we are, to meet us in our very weak and beautiful and broken humanity. Today, we're joined by the Reverend Ray Bowden. Ray, I'm just so grateful for you making time to have this conversation together. Sir, I feel honored to think you're doing this. Would you be willing to read a little bit of the Christmas story? I'd love to. Thanks, Ray. There were, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in our highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Amen. We've been talking this last month with various guests about what they noticed this year about Christmas. Each part of the Christmas story reveals the depths of God's love. It's uh, one story in the Bible that shows you God loves and cares for you far beyond what you may have thought because he wanted us to see as human beings what the really important things are. Jesus showed us that, caring for other people, uh, being forgiving, being kind, being compassionate, all of those things Christ taught us. I wanted to invite you, Ray, if you would consider offering a prayer for Christmas Day for those who are listening that this Christmas and in the days to follow, would you consider offering a prayer for all of us and for the world? I'll be glad to, sure. Dear Heavenly Father, who gave us the gift of the Christ child. How humbled we are before your 
majesty, and yet you have bent to our needs. You have shown care for us that goes beyond all measure. The Christmas story reminds us over and over again of the depths of your love. You sent Jesus so that we would know how much you care. You sent Jesus so that hope would be alive in our hearts. You sent Jesus to help us get through the difficult times of life. Wars, depressions, now this terrible coronavirus. All of these things are tremendous challenges, but we know that you're there for us, that you'll never abandon us, that your love is spreading throughout the world at times when people are desperate. So help this Christmas to be one in which we turn to you, knowing that we can't control it. We can't cure things, but you can. And so in your arms, we place ourselves and give you thanks for the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ray. Yeah. I will pray for your ministry and particularly the work with the new churches. <laughs> and just hope and pray that it does what God wants it to do. Because I really think his spirit is back of it. Mm. I really do, yeah. Today I am joined by the Reverend Chris Romine. Chris, I'm very excited to have you today on this podcast. Thanks for making time for this conversation. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. People want the senses to rest at the end of a story, and that's why we like movies that end well, and we like books that end well for the protagonists. Mm -hmm. We contrast that with the lectionary text for the first and second Sunday of Advent 2020, and the first phrase of Mark, which describes the gospel he's offering to us as the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Not, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, or this hmm. is the end, or it's buttoned up. And then it leaves us at the very end with an open-ended story where terror and amazement has seized the people who encounter the empty tomb, and they don't say anything to anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, so we kind of wonder, how's the story going to pan out for us? It's not right. tied together. So I preached on the first week's lectionary texts and I preached on hope, which is the theme of the first Advent candle. And I pointed at this text in the Psalm, Psalm 80, and this text in Isaiah as two texts that show a people that are really striving to find understanding of where God is in the midst of a pretty terrible context. They find themselves in less than ideal situations. It's interesting because when we individualize the arc of our life, we hope that we start somewhere and get somewhere else that's mm. better and more true and freer and et cetera. And while I think that's possible, 
that also says nothing about the context that we find ourselves in hmm. and the way that that context like gets into us, right? So I wonder how much Egypt got into Jesus. You know, we think of the incarnation as God coming into the world and sort of showing the world what God is, but how much of the trauma of exile was inherited into Jesus's understanding of the world and the way that Jesus traveled and the way that Jesus ate and Jesus' idea of the possessions. Like we sort of treat Jesus's life as objective and sort of static, mm -hmm. like that's what God would do. But I wonder if that's what God, who was exiled out of his birthplace due to, you know, horrific infanticide and an angry king, mm -hmm. did that have any play in what shaped Jesus to be? And so when I think of Isaiah and when I think of the Psalm text, I think these are people who are really wondering why in their individual context and broader, God doesn't seem to be present. And I think that as Christians, we really need to do something about that, right? Because like the second that we get out of the individual, then we realize, hey, we might be stuck in this terrible context for the rest of our lives. And that might not be our purpose, but we might be the collateral of a larger arc, yeah. right? And then how do I find my sort of individual arc towards more liberation, towards more peace, towards more whatever? And I don't judge people. And in fact, I understand people who don't get there. It's very easy for someone who's got a safe social location to say, make the best out of any situation. Uh, we've also never been in exile. We're also not chased into caves with our enemies ready to kill us. So for those who have, I think it's a lot harder of a sell to talk about the Christian narrative as something that brings just freedom wholesale and liberation wholesale. I think that that is more contextual to where we are than what maybe the Bible is saying and what the Christian tradition comes from. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're viewing our lens through, as you said, this individual perspective of like, well, I'm able to pay my rent and my kids are in school and there's enough food on the table, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It distorts how we think the world is going, as you said. The promise of hope is that God's witness is hopeful because if I'm honest, I often want something hard to be taken from me and fixed. But what I admit that I need in those moments of want is some sort of community, some people with me, someone who's going to sit in the rut with me. And I think that Jesus is presented as a triumphant uh, ruler, someone who fixes the problems that we have. That stuff is hard when uh, we're reading things like Mark, our very Advent text, saying, we're on a long journey and like no one can sort of blink because we might miss out on it. Uh, yeah. Like is the journey counted for anything? Is our tiredness amount to anything? Is our sort of humanity held? And in Mark, I don't think this, at least this passage is thinking much about, I don't know, my triggers, my trauma, my fears, my et cetera. It's just this hypervigilance. And I know that when I'm hypervigilant to things, sometimes it goes well. And sometimes I make mountains out of molehills. My next guest is my friend and colleague, the Reverend Carlton D. Johnson. Carlton, it's such a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about Kwanzaa. Sure. Uh, when Dr. Karenga originally introduced Kwanzaa, because of a lot of things going on in the larger social context, he introduced it as uh, something that one might celebrate along with Christmas. Hmm. What he was trying to do was give black folk a season or a time of reflection on these principles that would help them in ushering in the new year, uh, ways of reflecting upon these principles of community 
that might help them just, again, just take that time to talk about these things during that week between Christmas and New Year's. Mm -hmm. So it's a seven-day celebration, of course, uh, that begins the day after Christmas. My childhood pastor, you know, he would drop nuggets about it here and there. I mean, he was a young man with a family. He was not trying to get fired, messing with these folks in their Christmas. Uh, you know, mess with folk in their Jesus now. So he was not trying to get fired. But slowly, others of us, and when I say slowly, I mean like a decade or yes. so later, uh, would study and find out a little more. And just like we slowly started to talk about the history of Watch Night, slowly we would talk about Kwanzaa. Now, where that particular church, uh, because I'm still in fellowship and I love them dearly, many of the folks that are like my play mamas and play cousins mm -hmm. and stuff are still there. They may not have such a large Kwanzaa celebration there particularly, even though they do observe it. Uh, on the larger scale, many more African-American churches are celebrating Kwanzaa. Again, it's not a religious celebration. It's a cultural celebration that churches as well as other community organizations observe. At my own church, at our congregation, the First African Presbyterian Church, where Reverend Dr. Mark Ogunwele Lomax is the pastor, we actually take this time of year to look at the principles of Kwanzaa to see that they are actually in line with the teachings of Jesus. They are in line with the Bible. So even though it is a cultural celebration, it's not so distant from Christianity. Mm -hmm. It is actually in line with who we profess to be. Reflecting on some of the principles of Kwanzaa and mm -hmm. wondering if if you find yourself drawn to particular ones on certain years or if this year that there's a principle that speaks to your heart and to yourself most evocatively. Sure. I am a call me a major celebrator yeah <laughs> someone who who deeply recognizes kwanzaa and the principles therein and so this year if i have to think of any of the principles that have been so very important one of them is the first principle which is emoja emoja means unity if we just talk about the way that people came together around the increased awareness of racial unrest, particularly in the African-American community, but then I will say in uh, those that would be allies with us, those that would be co-conspirators with us, um, there was a, a sense of unity that this present administration wasn't just trying to kill black folk. They could care less about any folk that weren't them. Mm -hmm. So you may not have been in the crosshairs, but you were going to suffer from friendly fire. Mm -hmm. So there was that uh, uh, unity became important. Also in the pandemic, people needed each other to survive the isolation, to survive the loss, both in terms of resources and jobs, as well as human life. So unity has been very important through twenty. 20. Another principle that has served as well is Kumba. Kumba is uh, creativity. Mm -hmm. And Lord knows we've had to be creative on recognizing that everyone has talents and gifts. 
and that nobody is more important than others. But if I can close that up, the most important for me has been uh, the final principle, which is faith, Imani. Imani uh, is a different kind of faith, though. Typically, when we think of faith in the Christian context, we are referring to faith in God. And certainly that is a part of the faith lifted by the principle of Imani. But also, Imani is believing uh, with all our hearts in our people, in our parents, in our teachers, in our uh, leaders, and just believing in each other. I might say believing in humanity, having hope. I love the way the writer of Ephesians says that we were created for good works and this was intended to be our way of life Mm. so that when we see people doing all manner of stuff uh, that is not supportive of the humanity of other people regardless of their phenotype how they look who they love and where they live they're not paying attention to the fact that they were created for good works mm. created to uplift and support other people. That's supposed to be our way of life. And we have to have that kind of faith in each other that I don't need to worry about what you're going to do, quote unquote, behind my back. We're humans, we're family. And I have faith that you will look out for my well being and the well being of my family. And you should have faith that I will do the same for you and your family. I am very excited to welcome my very special guest, Samuel Henry. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for inviting me. And do you have a favorite holiday? Probably Christmas. What do you like about Christmas? Because it's a holiday where Jesus gets born. Hmm. I think that's a really very interesting thing about our faith that God decides to come and be a human person. Mm-hmm. Instead of like a rock star, the angel said, or he wanted to be just a baby. Yeah. What do you think that was about? Why do you think that God wanted to come and be a baby first? So that people will love him like they love babies. Mm-hmm. We love babies, don't we? Mm-hmm. What does it mean that Jesus came into the world for us and for God to be with oh, us? Oh, I know that question. You know yeah. that one? Yeah. Yeah. To be kind and everybody to be at peace. Mm-hmm. Jesus being born in a barn is interesting. Like, do you think there's anything interesting about that? Because you were not—you were actually born in a hospital, and we had a doctor there and nurses, and Daddy and I were there. The thing is about me and Jesus being born is like now we can build like big buildings and we know lots of medicine but when Jesus had it he just was born in the stairways and I think why he does that is is maybe like because he wanted people to love him more. Like, people think, oh, you must have had a hard time mm. in only a stable. Can we say Merry Christmas together? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I love you.
you, bud. We're just trying to say at, at the same time. Let's just take that from the top. When I say free, we can do that. Okay, ready. One, two, three. Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas. Oh, yeah. Friends, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And as always, you can subscribe to the New Way podcast on any number of platforms, including Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and online at newchurchnewway.org. Friends, thank you so much for listening along with us for our Christmas episode. We've got links to all of our guests on this highlights episode in our show notes and links to the original episodes and conversations. We know that in part what happens in this world depends on people who live their lives with courage and love. And so I'm thankful to be alongside you as we reflect about the world we wish for one another. Amen, Sarah. Grateful to you, our producer, the fabulous Marthame Sanders. And likewise to you, the host with the most, the fabulous Sarah Hayden. Friends, you can learn more about the movement that inspired this podcast online at Instagram and find stories of the people who lead this movement at 1001 NWC PCUSA. Thanks to all who support this work. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.